0: in that good day Amen. It's awesome stuff appreciate the middle that medley of hymns and and um, the one part of it that I picked up on was it may be a sweet sweet spirit in your ear and that is what I'm praying that this morning would be like as we share together some thoughts from God's Word that it would be a sweet spirit um, in your in the ear of the Lord Jesus Christ I want to say a couple of things before we get into the message number one I love what you've done to the place. I've seen it in various stages of construction, but never in its completed state and kudos to you. I know this is a building, but boy, does it make a statement to all those who would want to come and and visit and it shares strong story of good stewardship and, and a care for those things that are of value. And so we hope that translates into people feeling valued when they come in to this place. And also in response to Todd's comment, uh, that I do have many stories to share of Welby. He is listening right now and so I will refrain and uh, and also know that he has many stories that he could tell about me. And so we've made this pact many years ago that those things stay within us. And so that's the way we're gonna handle that. But uh, love Welby as you do, known him for many years uh we were high school friends along with two other buddies that almost inseparable and until his sister got really pretty one summer and uh oh my and she caught my eye and he tried hard to talk me out of dating her but it didn't work and uh, this october we will have celebrated 43 years together and it's been a glorious joyous time for us but I digress. Let's move into the topic of today, which is let's run a good race. I know some of you are, and and, and I applaud you for that. I've been on mission work uh, with several of you when Katrina was an issue and clean up there. We've done some other things together, um, Jamaica and, and Brazil and various things on total mission trips where evangelism was was all that we did. And so, uh, you know, I, I love your heart. I love what you're doing here. And and I say to you, let's run a good race. And, and perhaps the reason I say that is because I, I think it's more of a struggle today than it's ever been to run that faith race. I, I'm not a runner, never have been. In the, you know, I tried, I a distance running just isn't my thing. Um, You know, short sprints, maybe I can do those, and especially on hardwoods, you know, years ago, back and forth, but not too many times. But I'm not a runner, but I've known people who are runners. And I read something from a young lady by the name of Jennifer Brogdon. She's a guest writer for Desiring God. She was sharing a little bit of her experiences as she was running um, in a collegiate setting. Here's what she said, and I think this was interesting. She said, I understand what it takes uh, to win a race. It takes hours of training. It takes hard work during practice and in the weight room. It also means putting away poor eating and sleeping habits. Clearly, diet of ice cream and cake mixed with four hours of sleep is a recipe for disaster leading up to the race. And in my own experience, a diet of lean protein with fruits and vegetables proved more successful along with going to bed earlier than my socially active peers. So while I'm not a runner, we're all in a race. You know that, you know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. We're in this race, this faith race, race of faith, whatever you want to call it. And as Christ followers, we have a goal. And our goal isn't to win some trophy for our shelf. Perhaps you've got many of those, and you know what happens to them over the years they get lost, they get dust collected all over them, or they get broken, they're gone. We're running for that imperishable goal, that uh, not a temporary one, but one that comes from finishing the race. So let's run a good race while we're here. And I wanna read verses one through three of Hebrews 12. And then I wanna make some comments relative to that passage. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. I I have to confess that that's a constant struggle um, for especially in this day and age in which we find ourselves, those in leadership positions, especially um, in church settings, struggle with what we're having to deal with. And if I'm not careful, If I'm not careful, I begin to look more at what's going on and less at Jesus and I become discouraged. Anybody else have that? Don't raise your hand. Maybe some of you, um, maybe you share that same concern that I do as well. But I do think that it's important that we run a good faith race. And so I'm, I'm here perhaps preaching to myself more so than anybody else. And I know what's going on in the world I don't know if you watch news you have to limit your diet um, on the news and what you watch but I'm telling you there's more going on in this world today to discourage and defeat the believer than ever before we hear people talk about Christianity in a very derogatory way we hear people say that the world would be better off if Christians were out of the way we see what's happening in California with our sister churches and the struggles that they're facing with their government and praise God we don't have to address that here but I praise those who have taken a stand uh, for truth and, and stand on biblical principles and even practice civil disobedience. I stand with those who are doing so and um, for God honoring ways not to be difficult but because that is what we're commanded to do. So it's difficult and, and I, to live or to run this faith-based life, but it's not impossible. Um, it's increasingly more difficult. The, the issues that we face are, are, they may seem at times insurmountable, um, but they're not. But indeed we have to recognize they're formidable. Here's what you have to watch. The impact that it has upon your life in mind, and, and, and so again, perhaps I'm preaching to myself more than anybody else here today. But what I wanna share with you are some things that have been helpful for me. Uh, first, I want us to, to, to talk about who is it that we're trying to please, and then I wanna share five quick disciplines that will help us run the faith life for the crown that is imperishable. So first of all, who are we running for? Who are we running this race for is it is it for our own self-aggrandizement are we running for our own benefit um for our own personal accolades or recognition or are we running to please the lord jesus christ now you, you know every one of us would say well no i i'm running the face life the faith life to, to please jesus and no one else but here let me ask this question because um i found that i had a little bit of a difficult time answering this question When you pray, do you always pray, God, your will be done? In this scenario, this situation, in this event, whatever the case might be. Let me tell you what's caused me to to think about that question. It was one of our teenage ladies who came to me and she said, "Um, there's a game coming up. I'm a highly competitive person. I really wanna win the game. Do you think it's okay if I ask God to give us the win? I didn't respond and my, my thought was, well, that's kind of a difficult question to ask in passing. So I'm going to deal with it here and now. My question is, is it your will or his that you want to see accomplished through the winning of the game or whatever the case might be, the event that you're involved in, uh, the promotion at work, whatever the case might be. Is it your will or his? See, in some cases, it might be God's will that you lose the game. And, and, you know, that's hard for us to hear. But but perhaps the greatest lesson that God has got for us grows out of humility. Uh, Perhaps once he wants what he wants to display to all of our peers or to those around us that we know how to be gracious in our losing in that specific situation. I'm not condoning that we become losers in life, but what I am saying is there are times when God is going to use us and the losses that we experience for his glory and his good. You know, um, sometimes I'm guilty of praying, God, uh, uh, you know, just this once, would you let us win? Just this once, would, would you let this thrive? But, and I've been guilty, guilty of this. I. I was talking to Todd a little bit ago and shared with him the first Thursday of every month for the last several years, we've been gathering to pray for revival. And you know, my prayers always, God, let it start here, let it start with us. And then we read about Fort Leonard Wood, what's happening there and over 5,000 Five thousand soldiers beginning saved. There's true revival happening there. I'm thinking, God, why not here? Why not here? And He's saying, No, that's the more logical place. These people come in from all over. They meet me, and I, and I deploy them all over the world. Do you see what I'm talking about? And so sometimes I'm guilty of praying, God, let my will. Be done, and he's saying, "No, you pray my will, and trust me, and and we'll get where we need to be." So I have a little bit of a struggle with this from time to time, and 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 I guess I'm the only one. But you know, they say that that confessing your sin is probably the first part of, of getting some healing and help. So that's what I'm doing right now. So um, what about a job situation? You know, I uh, think back several years ago, and. My wife and I were settled in on a job. We worked for the, I did the railroad and it was a really good paying job and it had a great future. And um, except for one thing, this, this horrible recession hit in the eighties. And I know a lot of you remember that. Perhaps you lost work as well, but there were a lot of us that got out of work and Welby and I and our brother-in-law Kenny were among those that were out of work. And um, oh my gosh, God used that time in my life to do something. What he was doing was preparing me for another phase of life. See, I was clinging to that job to take care of my needs. I really was. I had it all sorted out, figured out. So many years there, retire, everything's be great. Good benefits, good everything. And God said, no. And, and, and during that time, when we were scraping houses and doing all we could to, Uh, to make sure that we're able to pay the bills. God really got in our world. And and it was during that time that both Paula and I realized that God wanted us in full-time ministry. And it was through that event that we resigned the railroad and began preparing for what now has been a 32 year long ministry effort to which he has been faithful from the word go. We've never looked back. We've never questioned his wisdom. Uh, We just felt his leadership and we moved on. sometimes, sometimes we lose our jobs. Um, Sometimes they they are maybe putting us in positions where um, they're compromising our values or our family life or whatever the case might be. And then all of a sudden you feel led to go another direction and God is in that all the way. And he's preparing you for something better Grander, more glorious down the road. And so sometimes our greatest achievements grow out of our greatest sufferings or perhaps our greatest loss. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament being sold into slavery and slave traders taken. Next thing you know, his brothers are coming to him for food and he's in a position of authority. And, And you know the text you know you meant it for evil but god meant it for good and so here was this horrible situation that he went through in order to prepare him i mean he was in prison and all kinds of trouble probably if you counted up the months and the hours he was he was less in leadership position in prisons then he was a second in command of all of Egypt, but God was preparing him and what looked like a horrible situation, God was using it to get him ready for this. Think about Moses. He spent 40 years on the backside of the desert after having a really fatal encounter with an Egyptian. And here he was thinking he was doing God's will, this, this Egyptian lay dead and he's 40 years wandering, trying to sort his life out until he meets the Lord in the burning bush. And then the next 40 years we see him doing amazing things. So all of us, I get this, we want to be winners at whatever we do. We want to be winners in the sporting world, we want to be winners on our job, we want to be winners in whatever we do, but here's what we may not get, that all of us are winners when indeed we are aligned with God's will. That's where we find our greatest successes. So having the right motive, is a true win in my belief true win because it it isn't about whether we win or lose the game or rather you know we are successful in you know society's eyes it's how we play it how we work it god is more concerned about our witness for him on the job on the field on the court than he is about whether we win or lose the ball game so motives matter so who are you running the faith grace for you or for the glory of God. So we've got to settle that one. That's a big one to settle. And then there's like five disciplines I'll share with you really quick that I think are helpful. And one of them is pursue God daily. It's so important that we do that. And we do it through his word and we do it through prayer. Over the years, I've pulled together a little process that works for me. I'm sure you've got your own, but this works for me. And when I sit down and by the way, We read the scripture for various reasons. We read it for knowledge. We read it for inspiration. We read it for preaching content or teaching content, getting ready for a sermon or a class setting where we're gonna teach. But we also need to read it for connecting with the Lord. That's all important. Well, this little process, and I've just pulled bits and pieces from various ones over the years, and I've put together something that works for me. It's real simple. And when I sit down to read, to really pursue the Lord, here's what I do. I have a piece of paper and I have a pencil or a pen and I sit down and I begin to read. And you can have any kind of reading program that you want. Begin to read and when God illuminates a passage to you, when, as one said, when, when God all of a sudden turns the neon lights on on a passage, or as another said, when the words of the page reach up and grab hold of you, just stop. Stop, write down the passage Write down where it's at the address and what it is that God showed you at that exact time. He's revealing something to you. And then and then prayerfully begin to ask God, what is it that you want me to do? What do you want me to become um, through this? And what is it you want me to apply today or in the, in the next days to come through this passage that you've raised up for me? And here's what I found. I have found that oftentimes God will prepare me for something coming that day that I didn't know I needed to be prepared for. And and he preceded it with wisdom or insight, or at least he bolstered me and and helped galvanize me against what was coming. And all I'm trying to say is we've got to have some kind of a plan in place to constantly be in pursuit of our holy God. He knows better what we're going to need in the course of a day than do we. That's number one. The second discipline is this, and that is to pursue fellowship with other believers. Here's where I'm struggling. Let us run the race with endurance. There's, I don't think you can find a place in scripture where you're going to find that living in isolation is good for your walk with the lord. Um, I don't think you can find it. We're not created to live in isolation. And it is hard. It is difficult for us at this point in time in life to have to deal with this whole covid isolation kind of thing. It's taking a toll. Let me let me share with you. I'm not going to name any names, but I know of a young of a young person Fourteen, somewhere in there, was really struggling with all of this, and it has created almost a depression-like mindset. And when when this one looks out and sees the world and sees what's happening and begins to wonder, "Where's my fit? How am I going to function in all this?" It just tears away at his self-worth and his and his um, confidence in life, and and it really almost creates a I don't. I just don't care. I, I, I give up kind of a mentality. And it doesn't surprise me to learn that suicide rates are increasing during this season of lockdown and isolation. We're not meant to live in isolation. You know as well as I do that the, the, the list of motivational gifts that we're given uh, in the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12, we believe it is, are not given for us Uh, verses six and eight for our own personal edification. In other words, I'm given one of the seven motivational gifts and they're prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, administration, and mercy. I've been given a gift the moment that I received Christ into my life. The Holy Spirit came to dwell within and brought a ministry gift for me, a motivational gift, I should say, that, that really is mine to use for you. It's not mine to use for me, but it's mine to use for you. My gift is one of encouragement. And so I don't encourage me. I encourage others. That's what God has given me to you. And the gift that he has given you is to be used for one another. And so we must Interface, we must have some back and forth, and I'm telling you, I miss that in our local church. I miss the face to face, I miss the encouragement, and and the kind words, and the uplifting comments. I miss all of that whenever we are locked down and in isolation. We're not meant to live alone, we're just not. And so, um, there was a story that that uh I read and here's Stephen, is in his book, Stephen Ferrar, and story about Muhammad Ali, and he's in the prime of his life, uh, reigning heavyweight champion of the world, boards an airplane, first class seat, flight attendant comes by, looks down, he's not buckled up. She kindly says to him, you need to put your seatbelt on. Muhammad Ali looks up at her and says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said to him, Superman don't need no plane, buckle up. (laughs) None of us, none of us are Superman. In fact, there's only one and and he's fictional. He's not even real. None of us are designed to go it alone. None of us are. And uh, this journey in life is too difficult to go alone. And if we think that we can, let me send you back to point number one, spend some time in, you know, with the Lord, and he will show you where you're missing, where you're missing the point, because we just cannot survive. And here's what I really want you to see. Sin can so quickly deceive us. It's destructive, but it has a deceptive nature to it. And when you start buying into it, you will continue to be deceived, and further and further away from the Lord, you move. Christian fellowship is so important uh, on so many levels, but here's what I know on a personal level, that Christian fellowship enables me to to share my burden or to hear your burden, and, and it allows me to share my joys or to hear your joys, and so our burdens are lightened and our joys are multiplied when we are in fellowship one with another. So I encourage you. These are really strange times. And we struggle with trying to keep our fellowship intact. And I know you do too. And and it's hard to do that because we have to social distance and all this, but there's got to be a way that we can keep our folk gathered in this sense that they feel connected. I've got to tell you this, my lovely wife was at the grocery and she was doing some shopping and here was a member of our church there, well in her nineties, very, very active, still employed and um, very active in our local church, but unable to come, unable to work, isolated at home, isolated at home. So we call her and talk with her and encourage her so Paula is out in the store and sees this this sweet lady. They both have their on and their masks on. And this particular lady just runs up, grabs hold of Paula and gets to sob, sob. I'm so alone. I'm so alone is what she says. I feel so alone. We buried her husband a few years ago and I'm sure the four walls, just seem like they're closing in on her from time to time. I'm saying there's gotta be a way that we, the church, can find an opportunity to keep our ones who are in isolation encouraged. Now, let me say this, last time I looked, cell phones not only received calls, but you could call out. So that's just for the benefit of some. Don't just sit back and wait and then feel bad because no one's calling. You get on the phone and encourage someone. Here's something that we're gonna to try to do. Um, our folks don't know it yet, but I'm going to try to do scheduled drive by visits. Hey, Mary, I'm coming by. I'm gonna come by from 10 to 1015, open your garage door, put a lawn chair out there. I'll stand 10 feet away and we can chat. We're gonna try some, we're find, trying to find creative ways to keep the fellowship strong. Resist the temptation to give up or to just let it roll. And certainly resist the temptation to drift away from the fellowship. It happens and it happens too easy and it happens too fast. So there's a third discipline and that's to welcome a loving rebuke. Uh, I see this, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us. I, again, I've never been a runner, never. Um, and um, I, I've competed on other levels, but never as a runner. And uh, I, I can't imagine, now my daughters were both runners and I cannot imagine having a competition, say where it's a team running event, maybe it's a relay where you're doing a four by four, 100 or something, and you're doing a relay and you're all out together the night before or even the hour before the race, and one of your teammates, maybe it's the one that's going to run the final leg, orders a pizza and ice cream and french fries. I think at that point, I would offer a loving rebuke. I would say, ooh, that's liable, it cost us the race. Don't do that. Do that afterwards. Loving rebuke. Loving rebuke. And I think that most of us Would appreciate a loving rebuke from one who is in good standing with the Lord. One who is a friend, who has your best interest at heart. That would say to you, oh, I wouldn't go down that road. I wouldn't make that choice. I wouldn't do that thing. Those things are called sin. And they're going to have terrible unintended consequences. Don't do that. Don't go down that road. I think that we would appreciate that more so. The suffering the consequences of sin. When we were younger, we would often run through neighbor's yards or fields that hadn't been mowed in a while, uh, perhaps even going to the country, we'd run through the countryside and we'd have our little dog with us. And coming through the brush and coming out, we looked down at our legs and our socks and our shoestrings and we see these things stuck all over us. You know what they're called, right? They're called stick tights. At least that's what I call them. Uh, now, maybe there's a more scientific name for them, but that's what I call them. And my goodness, the dog would be covered in them all over the place. Those things are hard to get out of. If you've ever tried to pick those out of your socks or off your shoestrings or out of your dog's coat, fur coat, it's difficult and sin gets onto us like a stick tight. And it's hard to get rid of, it's hard to get off. And so it's best, it's best not to go through those fields of sin. It's best not to. And it's wonderful when somebody says, that ought to be off limits to you. I say in a loving, kind way, because you don't want to be picking sin off of your life. It's, some of it's hard to get rid of. To enter into the world. So many people have said to me, I, I innocently entered into the world of pornography and I can't get out. And it's devastating. My walk with the Lord, my faith race is is just on hold. And it's devastating my relationship with my wife. We know what happens when leaders, church leaders, pastors fall. We know, we know what happens. And so I'm saying to you, we also know what happens in families when, when, Alcohol becomes an issue and it sticks tight and you can't get rid of it. It devastates the relationships in the family. Same way with drug use, those kinds of things. So loving rebuke, just don't go down that path, stay out of that field and, and don't spend the rest of your life picking sin off because it's hard to get rid of. So welcome to loving rebuke. I love what it says in Proverbs 27:5. better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Fourth discipline, embrace the trials. Um, Consider Jesus, that's the idea. Look at what he went through. Consider him, uh, all that he endured for the joy set before him. Think about all that he endured leading up to and on the cross, for the joy that was set before him. You ever looked at life that way? You ever look at your trials that way? Boy, I'm really going through them right now. So God must be really doing something awesome in my life or someone else's because I know that this isn't just wasted time in God's economy. He's using it for his glory somehow, some way. The truth of the matter is this. The truth is we cannot make it through this this faith race, unless we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ. Just can't do it. We'll grow weary. I've already confessed that. Uh, We'll grow weary and and we'll grow discouraged if we do. Which leads to the fifth and the final one. The fifth discipline. Envision the one who's waiting for you at the finish line. We've got nine grandkids. Seven biological, one adopted, one fostering who we think will soon be ours. They range from age 16 down to two. All of them compete some level, basketball, baseball, you name it. And it's interesting for me to watch when they're on the court or they're on the field. Every once in a while they look over to see Grammy and papa looking, they watch it mom and dad watching because it's important to know that somebody is over there cheering you on, agree? Think about who's waiting for us at the finish line. Think about who that person might be. And and I'm telling you that it's important to have your eyes fixed upon Jesus who's there waiting at the finish line. Somehow keeping your eye on him helps you endure the trials and the struggles associated with the faith life as we work through this crazy pandemic and this growing anti-Christian sentiment that we see in our culture today. See, when we look to Jesus, do you know what we see? We see our intercessor. We see him seated at the right hand of the Father, praying on our behalf. I hear people say, I'm not quite sure how to pray. I'm saying, you pray, the Spirit of God will interpret it to Jesus through the Father. You're not gonna get an errant prayer to the Father. He is interceding on your behalf. And and that's who's at the finish line. We look to Jesus because he's our greater encourager. No one has done more to encourage us in the faith race than Jesus Christ. No one. We look to Jesus because he is the crown waiting for us. He is our promise. So we look to the finish line because we get to see Him and He is everything. We look to Jesus because keeping our minds fixed on Him helps pale the other things that, that try to get us off course or, or discourage us or defeat us. We look at the stuff in the world and if we keep looking at it, we'll lose our focus. If we keep looking to Jesus, all those things find a place of lesser significance, importance. And yes, they're, they're there, but they don't become an encumbrance to Him, Because it helps us with our struggles, helps us with our pain. We look to Jesus because he's the one who enables us to live above the minutia of this crazy world. We can get lost. We can get lost in the stuff that's happening around us, but we just need not do that. So somehow keeping our on Jesus makes everything a little easier, even the struggles that we go through and the battles as they have transforming qualities that turn to joy as we continue to pursue. I read a prayer, let me share this with you. I thought it was really interesting, timely. It it popped up on one of my social media sites and I really thought, wow, this is really good. This came from one named Amy Groeschel and here's what she prayed. Lord, I am weary. I have so much to carry. I feel like I can't keep going at this current pace without collapsing. I so desperately need to sit down and catch my breath. You tell me that I can come to you to lighten my load. Lord, help me find my rest in you. Thank you for being my help, strength and rest. May I encourage you today to take a breath, to pause, to turn your eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face as we often have sung. Begin to implement the disciplines so that you may run this final leg of the faith race on to the victory that Jesus earned for us at the cross. He's cheering us on. There's no, no better friend, and there's no better encourager than Jesus Christ. Don't you want to hear and you cross that finish line here. Here's a 10, here's a 10 trophy for you. Go put it on your eternal wall somewhere. And no, nothing that will decay, rust, rot, ever enters the kingdom of heaven. But here's what I wanna hear. And I know you do too. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've run a good race. So keep on running and run for his glory and for the good that it brings others. I would that you'd bow your heads, please. With every head bowed, every eye closed, simple, simple invitation for you to take a breath, to refocus, to take what it is that God may have shown you in these minutes that we've had together and put it into practice. Certainly he's illuminated something from this message today that he wants you to take with you. Write it down, pray it through. God, how's it going to apply? Help me to this. To do this. Father, we give you glory. We really do, because your word is powerful and it never returns void. And, and I'm mindful that there may be one gathered here that has yet to put their trust in you and have listened very intently to what's been said and and all that Jesus brings to one's life and all the help that he is and 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 not only in this life, but well into eternity. You see, we trust a multitude of things, but the one that we trust who will never let us down is Jesus Christ. I encourage you to come today and just admit that you need him. That's the beginning. Well, you've got to admit you're a sinner. You've got to confess those shortcomings, just as I had today. And that's the beginning of everything. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have failed miserably. I come to you today and ask for forgiveness and for you to take up your rightful place in my life, that I might have you living within and see you forever on the shores of that glorious place called heaven. Father, may you be glorified for those who make that choice today. And it's in the precious name of Christ, I pray. Amen, amen.